As you do, you can turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Such a joy to sing together to our Lord with you. I was just thinking how precious it is. Some of the songs that we sing... We sing to God, you are worthy of our praise. I was also thinking how precious it is. Some of the songs we sing, it's almost as though we're looking around the room at each other. Uh, Behold our God, seated on his throne, come, let us adore him. Such a gift to come together as God's people, sing to our Lord, to teach and admonish one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to do that together with you this morning. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking this morning at verses 14 through 17. Let's begin just by reading that passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Middle names, they serve several purposes. Of course, we all know that the first and most important purpose of a middle name is so that your mother can more clearly display her displeasure with you. Jason David Drum. One of the other, maybe more significant purposes is to allow the parents to bring that much more meaning to the life of this child. You know, when when we choose our kids' names, even their middle names, we we choose them with intentionality, Like like a banner over this child's life that says, this is what we want for you. For many of us, our kids are still young, but we're praying that they'll live up to their middle names. Here we are this morning, Canyon Bible Church. Our middle name is Bible, and there's a good reason for that, like a, like a banner over our church that says, this is what we want for this gathering of worshipers of Christ. And that's why this morning we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is actually the first sermon I ever preached at Canyon Bible Church of Prescott was on this passage. That was back in November of 2015. We had exactly 95 members. That was a lot compared to the 68 that we started with just a few months before that. And now, about eight years later... We have 342 members, and I was prevailed upon by several of you to revisit this text 
again this morning. Look at, look at these verses. The, the one and only command here is right at the start. Verse 14 says, you continue. We're kind of parachuting down into these verses here, but it kind of helps when you get a grasp of the lay of the land around you. Uh, it helps when you kind of understand what came before this, the, the context, so to speak. The reason Paul, in this letter to Timothy, is telling him to continue in or remain in what he has believed and been taught, namely the Bible, is because of what he's just said before this in verse 13. Paul just finished saying, the verses before this, you can look there, says, evil men and imposters will proceed. That word proceed means to move on, to progress away from something. He says, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. These are the same kind of people Paul will refer to again in chapter 4, verse 4. He says they will turn away from listening to the truth. They will wander off into myths. And so you can kind of see the, the picture that Paul is painting there. And then notice the contrast here with a little word play. Verse 14 begins, but as for you, there's an emphatic contrast here in the original language, literally just you, however. It's like Paul is leaning over Timothy through this letter and putting his finger in his chest. Listen, Timothy, they're going to proceed. They're going to move on. They will wander away. They will wander off into myths. You, however. But as for you, continue in. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, which is, he's going to go on to describe, namely, the Bible. You see, Timothy's a pastor at his church, but Paul knows how easy it is for churches to veer off from where they started, and so he writes to Timothy, continue in the Bible, Timothy. Don't try to get fancy, just keep it simple, continue in the Bible. And the main point of the passage is that Timothy is told to hold on to, to continue in, to remain in, to stand firm in the Bible. That's the one command, continue in. In other words, don't consider it progress to move on from the Bible. When I met my wife, she was going to a, a different church. I invited her to come to my church with me, and eventually she did. And during her very first visit to my church to kind of see what this place was like, I was just a lay person at the church, not a pastor there, and so... Uh, her very first visit to see what this church was like, something happened that convinced her that she would not be going back to her old church anymore, that this was the church for her. You know what it was? It was just one simple thing that just floored her. When the pastor walked up to the pulpit and said, turn with me in your Bibles too, it was the sound of everyone in the room doing this. The sound of 200-something Bibles in the room at the time. Of course, now we silently scroll to our Bibles. 
But just that sound represented to her a a group of people so committed to the Word of God that she cherished that you could hear it in the room. That's been true of this church, too, for many years, and it was true for Timothy. And so Paul doesn't say, listen, Timothy, you need to begin to follow the Bible. Paul's admonition to Timothy and his church here is continue in the Bible. See, Paul thought even Pastor Tim needed to hear this. And if that's the case, then don't we all? It's so simple. It's almost like a, yeah, no, duh. But it's so critical. We're a Bible church, and so this seems so obvious to us. Yeah, Bible's our middle name. But we have to admit that the reason it's easy for churches to veer off course is because it's easy for individuals to veer off course. It's easy for us to have Bible studies that spend little time in the Bible. That's easy for us to do if we're not on guard, if we're not intentional to continue in the Bible. It's easy for us to plan events that prioritize fellowship to the neglect of the Bible, as though the two are separable. It's easy for us to give advice to our friends in person, over the phone, via text message, advice that comes from us and our opinion about what they should do instead of from the Bible. So Paul knew it's easy for individuals and it's easy for churches to veer off from where they started, and Timothy needed this reminder to continue in the Bible. And God knows we need it as we seek to close out our first decade as a church faithfully. Paul's exhortation to Timothy here is, continue in the Bible. Everything else he says, the whole sermon this morning, this whole passage, is just the reasons Paul gives Timothy to continue in the Bible. There's four of them in these verses. Four reasons to continue in the Bible. First is the character of your teachers. The character of your teachers. Look at it there in verse 14. Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. So, first reason Paul gives Timothy to stay the course and depend on the Bible is to look at the lives of the people who have taught him. Who taught Timothy? You can flip over page, or it might even be just right there. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Timothy's dad was likely an unbeliever, totally out of the the picture, spiritually speaking, but his mom, his grandmother, were the kind of believers whose lives gave strong credibility to the truths of the Scriptures. So Paul tells Timothy, look at the people who taught you. Look at their lives. Let it motivate you to stay on course. That's a good place for us to stop and think for a second. Who taught you the Bible? Who taught you the truth of the gospel? What is their life like? Parents, grandparents, pastors, teachers, aunts, uncles, friends, think about their lives. This is a reason to have confidence in the Bible. It's, it's not an infallible reason because people are not perfect like the Bible is. 
But in so much as a person's life lines up with and is according to what they have learned in the Bible, their life becomes a credible witness to the reliability of the Bible. And it becomes for each of us a motivating influence to continue in the Bible as we remember the people who have taught us. I have a frame on my desk. It's one of those frames that holds multiple pictures. And I got a bunch of pictures in there of some of the most influential men in my life, my teachers, my pastors, my friends, men who have been an example to me, who have prayed for me, prayed with me, taught me, confronted me, helped me. And when I think about their lives, it makes me that much more fired up to live a sold-out life for the spread of the glory of God and to continue in the Bible. The life and the character of the people who have taught you is not just an example to you, but also an encouragement to continue in the things that you have been taught, to continue in the Bible, to keep coming back to it. And that's legit too. A reliable testimony from a person of character is a valid source for confirmation of the truth. In fact, it's exactly what's used in a court of law. Testimony from reliable witnesses. So Paul says to Timothy, and I say to you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Continue in the Bible. And as you do, the amazing thing is then God uses us in the same way. Then your life too will be to others a testimony to the truth of the Bible. And that's just part of the reason to continue in the Bible. There's, there's more reasons here. Second, Paul talks about the character of the Bible. Look at verse 15, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That term, the sacred writings, literally means holy writings or holy book. It's where we get the term holy Bible. Now, listen, don't panic. Close your Bible for a second. I know normally when a pastor says, close your Bible towards the beginning of a sermon, that's not usually a good thing. Don't panic. We'll open them again. But close your Bible. Look at the spine. It says, Holy Bible. Have you stopped to consider the significance of that phrase? It comes from this verse right here. You can open your Bibles again now. Holy Bible. The, the sacred writings. The holy book. It's holy. It's set apart because it's distinct. It's separate, different from anything else that you've ever read, from every other book in the history of mankind. The Bible has marks of holiness to it that make it self-authenticating in many ways. As you read it, as you study it, as you learn from it, there's something about this book that screams from God. This book shares in the holiness of God, and it's, it's obvious. I should say, if you can't see that, maybe you're here this morning and you think, I, I don't know, man, I, I've read the Bible, and uh, I found it to be not holy, but confusing. I'd say, if you're, if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, 
I've looked at the Bible and I didn't really see much there. You need to stop and consider if maybe the reason you didn't see much there is because 2 Corinthians 4.4 actually says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We need to pray 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that the God who said, let there be light, would give, would shine into your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God so that you would have your eyes opened to the truth of the gospel, that you would have your heart enlightened to see the glory of God in the pages of Scripture. If, if you don't see these marks of the holiness of God in the pages of Scripture, you need to pray that God would open your eyes. When we were kids, my parents bought us an extremely high-tech gaming system known as Nintendo. <laughs> Just the original Nintendo. Uh, we traded that in for our Atari, uh, got rid of the Atari and the Pac-Man and the little black joysticks, and we got Nintendo controllers. And we would often hear this phrase from my dad because we would have these moments where we're playing, and you're like, the buttons aren't working, which is, you know, what you say when you lose and it's totally your fault. The buttons aren't working. And my dad would always say, and now it's a joke for me and my brothers, don't blame the equipment. Don't blame the equipment, boys. And I think if you're here this morning and you're confused by the Bible, I would say, don't blame the equipment. Pray that God would open your eyes to what's truly there. Because there's more to the character of the Bible too. Look, verse 15 goes on to say, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is talking about the power of the Scripture to save lost sinners, to save those who are blinded to the truth of the Bible, to give the Spirit and open their eyes so that they can see the glory of God in the pages of Scripture. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So you might say, like, so what do I need to do if I don't understand the Bible when I read it? Well, you need to read the Bible and pray that God would give you faith as you hear the Word of God. That's what the Bible does. How does the Bible do that, you ask? Well, first, because it's the Scriptures that teach you the gospel. They do that by teaching you about who God is, that He's holy and righteous, they teach you about yourself, that you're sinful and need forgiveness like we all do. They teach you about Jesus who came from heaven to earth to live the perfect life that we continually fail to live, to die on the cross and pay for our sin and give us His righteousness. He was raised from the dead on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And the Bible teaches us about our response to all of that that we have to turn from our sin. We have to repent and believe the gospel. And there's no other way to learn about Jesus and His gospel than in the Scriptures. Acts 4.12 says, There's salvation in no one but Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Think about how you got saved. 
Think about the circumstances surrounding your salvation. Someone, somehow, shared the truths of Scripture with you, or you read them for for yourself, and, and by His Spirit, God gave you eyes to see, yes, wow, this is all true. The truths of the Bible are what made you wise to salvation, and Paul is telling Timothy here, that's a very good reason to stick with the Bible. If you became a Christian by hearing the Word of God by faith, then why would you not live your entire Christian life by continuing to hear the Word of God by faith? Why would we move on to something else when we have something that is so amazing? It's easy for us to think, we wouldn't say this out loud, but it's easy for us to think, like, okay, I mean, I've, I've read the Bible. I've read it a lot. Now I need to read a bunch of Christian books about spiritual growth. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great to read good Christian books about spiritual growth, but the best books about Christian spiritual growth are going to be the ones that teach you what the Bible says about spiritual growth. Don't read those instead of the Bible. Spiritual growth happens not as we just pile up rules and obey more stuff, but as we behold the glory of God in the pages of Scripture, and it transforms us from the inside out. That's the difference between a truly Godward Christian life and a life of hypocrisy, is that we're just going back to the Scripture, wanting to be transformed so that we live a different kind of life because God is changing us on the inside. So let me ask you, are you saturating your life with Scripture? Are you in the Word? Do you read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it? Do you pray the Bible? Do you shape your life with the words of life? As a friend to other people, let me encourage you to continue in the Bible. You know, we're all counselors in one way, shape, or another. You might not think of yourself as a counselor, but every time a friend comes to you to talk to you about a problem in their life, you don't just stand there silently. You may listen, but eventually you're going to say something in response. What you say in response is counsel. So it's not a matter of whether or not you're a counselor, it's just a matter of whether you're a good one or a bad one. It's really easy for us as we're listening to people to think about what I would do in that situation, as though that's the deciding factor. Hopefully nobody cares what Jason would do in that situation. We want to know what God would do. What would God say? And the only way for us to know that is as we're listening to people, we're thinking, what does the Scripture say about this? What does the Bible say about what my friend is talking to me about? How can I encourage them from the Word of God? So when you say to someone, hey, you know what you ought to do? Just be really careful about what comes after that. It really is, it's easy for us to just give people more rules to obey instead of giving them the Bible. God saved you by hearing the word with faith. And that is how he will sanctify you too. As you behold his glory in the pages of scripture, turning to him in awe and trust, you will be changed. So stay on course. Just continue in the Bible. 
There are great rewards when we stay on course and great dangers when we veer off. I think about the Costa Concordia. It's a well-known Mediterranean cruise ship disaster. If you Google later, later, not now, Googling things in church, I don't recommend. But Google later the Costa Concordia. And you know what you'll get? You'll get pictures of a boat doing something that boats are not supposed to do, floating upside down. And the reason for that, the reason for the Costa Concordia cruise ship disaster is just one simple thing. The captain, one day, as they're departing the port, saw this massive crowd of people standing on the, on the side, on land, waving at people who are standing on the Costa Concordia at the railing, waving, and they're waving to each other. And the captain thought, man, this is a, this is a cool moment. This is sweet. I am going to just get a little bit closer so that everybody who's waving to each other can see the smiles on each other's faces, and let's just make this a really special moment. And so he got a little bit closer. He veered off course. And the problem about getting your boat too close to the land is the land. Land and boats, they don't go together, as this captain found out. Now, he thought, I've got a great idea. And if you'd have been there, you might have thought, that's a great idea. There's a lot of times in our lives when we think, I have a great idea. And we need to ask ourselves, am I veering off course? Because something that might appear to us in the moment to be a great idea might not end well. Make sure when you think about the decisions in your life, when you talk with people, when you give advice, when you comfort a friend, when you lead a Bible study, when you talk with your children, you're asking yourself, what does the Bible say about this? What advice would God have me give this person? That's why the Bible is so critical. So stay on course. Continue in the Bible. The Scriptures taught you how to be saved. That's the character of the Bible itself. As we look at four reasons in this passage that Paul gives Timothy to continue in the Bible, it's a good reminder for us. We continue in the Bible because of the character of our teachers, because of the character of the Bible itself. Third, because of the character of its source. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. The source of the Bible the place that it comes from, the person that it comes from is God himself. And there is no better reason to continue in the Bible than that. If you have an NASB translation, it says all scripture is inspired by God. Inspired literally means in breathed. You think inspiration, respiration. There's a, that little stem there, S-P-I-R, has to do with breathing. God through the Apostle Paul, chose the Greek words here, theonoustos, literally a compound word that says God breathed. The Bible is God breathed. It came to us directly from God himself. This is about as plain and obvious as it gets. People always want to know, where did the Bible come from? And here is the plain and obvious answer. All scripture is breathed out by God. Maybe you ask, well, how does that work? I mean, you just said Paul wrote this letter. 
Now you're saying God breathed it. Well, which is it? Paul approaches this topic with a focus on the book itself here in this verse. Peter addresses the same topic in 2 Peter 1 with his focus on the people involved and the the process. Just listen for a second as I read 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you can see how while Paul describes the fact that God breathed the Bible, Peter describes the people, the process involved. The the fact that God breathed the Scriptures for us is the primary reason for us to continue in the Bible. God is holy, so His book is holy. God never makes a mistake, so this book contains no mistakes. God is perfect, so His words to us are perfect. There are no errors in the Bible. And I would defy the skeptic who says, well, there's so many errors. They're all, the Bible's full of errors. I would defy the skeptic to put his money where his mouth is and show me one error in the Bible. This book is perfect because it is God-breathed. That's why we say the Bible is inerrant. In its original manuscripts, it is completely without error and entirely true in every word, fact, and sentence. It cannot be wrong. It is inerrant. It is without error. The Bible is perfect because it came from God. Not one myth, not one error or inaccuracy. This book has withstood the test of time for over 2,000 years. Therefore, this book alone determines my convictions and my life. And to turn to any other source for how to live my life would be miserable self-destruction. So Paul is telling Timothy that one of the reasons we can trust the Bible, one of the reasons to continue in the Bible is because of the character of its source. This book wasn't written by a bunch of religious guys a few thousand years ago that don't understand our world. This book was breathed out by the same God who spoke our world into existence. Where something comes from makes a difference. As we think about reasons to continue in the Bible, we think about the character of the Bible's source. When our family first moved to Los Angeles, we thought, like anybody who moves to Los Angeles, let's go to the beach. And many of the beaches there are great. We didn't know anything about beaches in L.A., And so we just kind of like, you know, pull out the phone, look at the Google map, and what's the closest beach? Oh, it looks like Santa Monica. Oh, I've heard of Santa Monica before. Sweet, let's go to Santa Monica. And so we go to Santa Monica, and we went for a swim. And we were the only ones swimming, which was wonderful, because we had the beach to ourselves. It was great until we got horribly sick that afternoon. We found out you're not supposed to swim in the beach in Santa Monica? Like, where were all my friends for this? We found out, see, Santa Monica is the location where 
all of the Los Angeles storm drains from the entire LA basin kind of all funneled down to Santa Monica and they all let out into the ocean there. So every time it rains, anytime there's any water happening in LA anywhere, it washes the city out into Santa Monica. And so that is not where you want to go swimming. Let's say you're thirsty. And being the servant-minded friend that I am to you, I'm going to get you a glass of water. Would you rather drink a glass of water from a fresh, cold mountain spring or from the nice warm runoff in Santa Monica? (laughs) They're both a glass of water, right? But where they came from makes a really big difference. Where the water comes from tells you about the water. The source is an indicator of whether or not this is trustworthy. You can drink this water because of where it came from. And if there's a level of importance to the source of your drinking water, how much more significant is it for the truth that you base your entire life on to have a source that is trustworthy? And since there's no source more trustworthy than God Himself, let us continue in the Bible. We continue in the Bible because of the character of our teachers, because of the character of the Bible, because of the character of its source, and fourth and finally, because of the character of its effects, the character of its effects. Look at verses 16 and 17, says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, God didn't write this book so we could all say, oh, that's a nice story, God. Whenever someone writes a book, the author has a a reason. They want you to get something out of it. So when the creator of of the universe writes a book, what does he want you to get out of it? What is it good for? What is its purpose? This word profitable just means it's useful to us. We gain from it. We benefit from it. We get something good out of it. And notice what the effects, the profit of the Bible is. It's profitable for four things, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. You can maybe hear the progression there. Teaching is, uh, we might say, doctrine. Teaching is what is right. Doctrine is the, the teachings of Scripture that help us to see the world as God sees it. We say to have a biblical worldview, to have guidance and direction for what is right in our lives. That's teaching. And it teaches Uh, It gives us reproof. That's what is wrong. So it gives us what is right, and it gives us what is wrong. This word reproof means rebuke for wrong behavior, wrong belief. It refers to the Bible's ability to expose things in our life, in our heart, in our thinking that are off course. The Bible not only teaches us what's right, it shows us when we're wrong. Thankfully, it also gives us correction he says here. That's how to correct, how to get right. So it teaches us what's right, when we're wrong, how to get right, 
This word refers to getting something back on track, headed back in the right direction. So after Scripture shows us where we're wrong, it also shows us how we can get right again. Isn't that the grace of God? If we wrote a book, it would just show everybody how wrong they are. God's book shows us where we're wrong so that He can help us get right. And it also gives us training in righteousness. This is how to stay right. This is positive training in godly living, not just the rebuke and correction of wrong behavior. So the Bible shows us what's right, that's teaching. It shows us when we're wrong, that's reproof. It shows us how to get right, that's correction. And then it shows us, teaches us how to stay right, that's training in righteousness. So look at the end of verse 17. Why all of that? All of that so that, and here's the purpose clause, that the man of God, and by inference, the women of God also, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I don't know if you're ever anything like me. Well, actually, I do, because I have a Bible. You're a lot like me in this. I don't always feel ready. I don't always feel like I know what to do next. I worry about what's coming. I worry about what's around the corner, what could happen. I worry about this next thing that God has called me to do that I might not be ready for it. But listen how gracious God is. He's given us a book that allows us to be ready for everything that's coming. It says so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. See, whatever life throws at you this afternoon, this week, this month, this year, you can be ready. Whatever trials may come, you can be ready. Whatever you're facing, you can be adequate. Whatever ministry opportunities God puts in front of you, Ephesians 2 says, that He saves us, and then our good works are laid out for us beforehand. God knows every good work that we're going to do. It's like He's laid them out in a path before us. And then this verse says we're equipped for every good work. So whatever ministry opportunity God gives you to do, you can be ready because you have a Bible. The Bible makes us adequate, equipped for every good work. Remember, Paul's telling Timothy, this is one of the reasons to continue in the Bible. And when you think about the character of the Bible's effects in your lives, why would we turn away from this? What would we turn to? Paul's given us this morning from 2 Timothy 3 four reasons to continue in the Bible. It's shown us that if we're going to grow as individual Christians, if we're going to succeed as families, if we're going to live up to our middle name as a church, we must continue in the Bible. And this is why all of our ministries are expository ministries. We simply study and read and explain the Bible. If you walk into our Kids of Canyon rooms this morning, you'll find Danny Anderson over here and Rich Howe up there teaching Genesis chapter 3. Just teaching the Bible to kids. 
If you walk into an adult small group this week, you'll find people sitting around in a living room just studying the Bible together. If you show up this next week for a men's discipleship group, you'll find men in living rooms and coffee shops and breakfast joints all over Prescott and Prescott Valley and Chino Valley just reading and discussing books of the Bible together. If you show up at a women's ministry event, you'll find ladies gathered together around the Word of God. If you come to youth group on a Wednesday night, you'll hear Pastor Josh teaching students the Bible. We often think we have to dumb it down for high school students. They're studying trigonometry. You can take your math problems to them. We can teach them expository preaching through books of the Bible. If you spy in on an elders meeting, you'll find open Bibles. You show up on campus for college Bible study on a Friday night, you'll find us preaching through the book of Hosea. If you show up at one of our members' houses, you'll find us doing family devotionals, reading the Bible to our kids. If I was a fly on the wall for a conversation you have after church in the lobby or out in the grass, it's very likely I would hear you speaking to one another the words of life. If I hack your phones... I will find you texting Bible verses back and forth to each other, encouraging one another, building one another up in love. You guys are crazy about the Bible because we are Canyon Bible Church. We're seeking to just continue in the Bible, and in so doing, we're just trying to live up to our middle name. Father, thank you for your word. Just to meditate this morning during our teaching time together, just to meditate on how incredible this book is. We're so familiar with it, and so we can sometimes forget. We confess to you, we can often take it for granted. But God, you have breathed out a book that is perfect. You have put teachers into our lives to teach us You used your word to call us out of the darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of your beloved son. God, you've blessed us with everything that we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of your son. You're continuing to grow us as we behold your glory in the pages of scripture. God, you have laid for us a firm foundation for our faith in your word. God, it is, it is sweet to trust what you have said, just to take you at your word. Lord, would you help us that by your grace, we would be a place that two years from now and 20 years from now and 100 years from now, the saints of Canyon Bible Church would continue in the Bible. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.